0: We turn our attention to Joshua chapter 21. If you turn there, we're two chapters from the end. Pastor Chet will pick up the final chapter next week. But we have the story of the Levites. And in it is a tremendous story of the faithfulness of God to distribute himself via the word to the people in spite of the fact that the people were resistant to receiving that word, to believing that word, and to living that word. And so tonight, as we pick up here in chapter 21, we're going to see a story of the faithfulness of God. Would you join me let's pray? Father, we thank you. Lord, I thank you that that song that we just sang is the truth of the life that you've allowed Connie and I to live together. You have been faithful all of our lives. It's the story of Israel. You've been faithful throughout the history of your chosen people. Lord, you are faithful tonight And we pray that you would speak to us as that God who is faithful. Lord, I believe there are people tonight here struggling with faith. People watching online that are struggling with their faith. They're wondering, are you going to give them a portion in the promised land? And so we ask God that you would speak to us through your word. Reveal yourself to us tonight, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1, chapter 21, the book of Joshua. And then the heads of the fathers of the house of the Levites came near to Eliezer the priest, to Joshua the son of Nun, and to the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the children of Israel. And they spoke to them at Shiloh in the land of Canaan. Now remember that the children of Israel have not been in the land long. They've not established really any capital city in Jerusalem, which they will do. And so they're at Shiloh. They're between Mount Gerizim, Mount Ebal. They've set up an altar there. The tent of the tabernacle of meeting has gone with them. And they're now worshiping the Lord there in Shiloh, in the land of Canaan, saying, The Lord commanded through Moses to give us cities to dwell in with their common lands for our livestock. And so the children of Israel gave the, to the Levites from their inheritance at the commandment of the Lord these cities and their common lands. Now, we need to understand who the Levites are and why this particular passage is important to us today. What, what does it represent to us? It seems to be a strange command. It seems that this is a little bit weird for us as we sit here in 2022, halfway through another year, uh, why would we care whether the Levites had any land? And so it's important for us to look back in order to look ahead. Remember that the Levites received absolutely no provision in the division of the land. So here's a tribe that essentially has no place to dwell. And this is very interesting to us because it gives us a, a window into a group of people that you have one example of those people standing before you right now. You have another one sitting to my right in Pastor Chet and several others in this room who are those who share in the same command as the Levites had, which was to principally share the word of God with the people. But they still had to live somewhere. They couldn't just wander around the promised land. And so each tribe gives of a city, several of them, and some common lands. That would be the area around the city because the tribe of Levi had no provision. But God had declared himself, remember this, God had declared himself to be their inheritance. And you can find that back in chapter 13. So God speaks to them. And says, I'm not giving you any land, I'm giving you something better, I'm giving you myself. But the fact that they were people of faith, and the fact that they had a job to do in the house of the Lord, and that was primarily, ultimately, to share the word of God with the people, they still had to have a place to live while they're doing that. And so God is going to make provision for the word to be shared with the people through the Levites, and at the same time use the people to meet the needs of the Levites themselves. Israel's history runs this way with regard to the priesthood. There were three orders of priests in Israel's priesthood. And if you look at the earliest biblical records, going back to Genesis chapter 12, you find that they had very specific duties that were spelled out to them. And originally the temple priests were given very specific duties and they were drawn out of the firstborn of every tribe. So every tribe, in essence, contributed uh, to those who would be ministering to the people through the word, through the law at that time. And so you can kind of see God's initial plan for his chosen people, was that every family would have someone within that family who would be able to share the law of the Lord with that family. In other words, the word was deeply ingrained into the family life of the children of Israel. Later, God chooses a tribe of Levi to carry out all of the responsibilities, basically for the entirety of the nation. And so as they get appointed, there's a reason for that. If you remember this scene that you find in Exodus 32, it's re-recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 10. If you remember, the children of Israel were encamped at the base of this terrible mountain. And the reason it was terrible is at the top, it was thunder and lightning and in essence the voice of God. And so Moses disappears and he's gone for 40 days. And while he's at the top of the mountain receiving the commandments of the Lord, there was only one tribe that stood with Moses against the people when Aaron's buddies and the rest of the children of Israel decided they were going to dishonor the Lord by not following the commands of the Lord and worshiping the golden calf, it was only the Levites that stood with Moses. So it's interesting that the people who stood for and on the word stood with Moses against idolatry. And so Levi is chosen to represent. God and to represent the people at the same time. And so because of that, at that time, God began to move in the hearts of the children of Israel, saying, I want you to bring into every home one of the members of the tribe of the Levites. And so you can kind of see how God begins to disperse his word through these men that were called priests, They also were encouraged to bring in widows and orphans at the same time. They're in Deuteronomy chapter 12. And so the Levites began to be dedicated to nothing but the work of the Lord. They were actually forbidden from doing other menial labor. They were to turn their attention to the temple, to the tabernacle at that time, but to the things of God. They weren't to get caught up in other things. One of the problems that we see in the modern church, especially in our day and time, but really in the last 500 years, is the advent of pastors that are consumed with things other than the study and the teaching of God's word. Now I can tell you that that comes with the territory to some degree. As we look at this church, Calvary Chapel South Bay, we're not just a church in that sense. We're also, in the state of California, throughout the country, a 501c3 nonprofit religious corporation that has employees and we have laws and things to follow. But the primary duty and the role of a Levite was to make sure that the word of God was preached to the people. It wasn't to vacuum every set of stairs, though you can find me occasionally with a vacuum cleaner. It wasn't to clean every bathroom, though you can find virtually every person on staff doing that as well. But the role of the Levites was to preserve the holiness of God through the word of God and make sure the people had the word available to them. They were to not get caught up in absolutely everything else. And so they were assigned that duty. There were three different groups of people within the tribe of Levi. The sons of Gershon and Kohath and Menari were actually assigned these duties. And so during the wilderness journeys, they were assigned to take down the tent of the meeting, the tabernacle and the fence that surrounded it, and the brazen altar. They, they were responsible for the things that represented God to the people including offering sacrifices. And so they became servant leaders. They were were involved deeply in the things of God and only in the things of God. And so it became very, very important that the Levites were actually taken care of because they couldn't focus because remember at that time, the world was filled primarily with subsistence farming and grazing of animals. And so if you didn't have a place And you didn't have land and you didn't have animals and you weren't able to barter, you would die. And so for God to keep his word before his people, he said, here's what we're going to do. All of the rest of you will give of your income, of your food, of your livestock to take care of the Levites so that they can take care of you with the word of God. And hence the role of pastor has from that day to this... Primarily been so that the pastor can focus on the Word of God and on prayer and on the spiritual life of the church, you're not supposed to be finding every pastor taking care of every single piece of the church's facility. And so they got to focus on singing praises, they got to focus on the holiness of God, they were able to take care of the precinct and the chambers, they were able to attend unto the glory of the Lord. And so during David's reign later, you can find that in 1 Chronicles chapter 9, the Levites were integrated into administration of the government. They were keepers of the gates. They did all kinds of other things. And as they got engaged in other things, guess what happened to the children of Israel? They got further and further from the Lord. To where by the time the tabernacle disappears and the temple is built, There's a hierarchy of priests, and so they're no longer taking care of the Word of God. They're taking care of all of these other things. They got involved in politics, very specifically, and it did not go well. There were three Levitical families, but during Jehoshaphat's time, uh, one of the things that became very, very, very prominent in the life of the Levites is the Levites that were actually true to the calling that God had placed on them attended specifically and only to the Word of God. So much so that they developed schools of Levitical order to where the Levites would study and then they would only teach for two weeks And while they were teaching in the temple for two weeks, that was the only thing they did. They actually stayed in the temple. That's why some of the table of showbread was given, and basically the Levites would eat from that, representing the 12 tribes. So we have this division now to where the Levites are going to be taken care of is actually in a very small microcosm viewable in the order of service in the temple. Because when the Levites would serve, they would change out the table of showbread, one loaf from every tribe, and that would be the priest's food, the Levites' food. As they would offer prayers for the people, they would offer prayers for themselves. In other words, you can see that the pastors were with the people, and the people were with the pastors. And so God shows us kind of the way that we now see, uh, to some degree, the church ministry that is undertaken today by largely pastors. And so these three Levitical families, let's take a look at a vast majority of this chapter. You're going to see the Kohathites, you'll see the Marianites, and you're going to see these Three specific families. And now a lot came out for the families of the Kohathites and the children of Aaron of the priests who were Levites. They had 13 cities. Now I'm going to read through most of this but I can tell you that like much of the rest of this division of land it becomes somewhat repetitious. But what there are are these cities that are named by name. Now imagine for yourself that the population of Israel at the time that this happens is probably in the hundreds of thousands of may have been a million or two, certainly was not more than that. But they're going to assign 48 cities just for the Levites. And we get some additional information, which we'll look at in a little bit, about how many Levites probably existed during this time. And so there are 13 cities by lot from the tribe of Judah, from the tribe of Simeon, and from the tribe of Benjamin, the rest of the children of Koath had ten cities by lot, from the families of the tribe of Ephraim, from the tribe of Dan, and from the half-tribe of Manasseh. And the children of Gershon had thirteen cities by lot, from the families of the tribe of Issachar, from the tribe of Asher, from the tribe of Naphtali, and the half-tribe of Manasseh in, in Bashan. And the children of Merari... Uh, according to their families, also had 12 cities from the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, the tribe of Zebulon, and the children of Israel gave these cities with their common lands by lot to the Levites as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses. And so remember that Moses did not get to enter the promised land because he was unfaithful, but Moses was faithful to communicate the word. That is certain and that is true. And so here we have God being faithful in spite of the unfaithfulness of the messenger. The message was still true. And so there's a picture here that God has actually provided his word. His word is true. And even when the messengers mess up, his word is still true. And God is still faithful. That's a truth for you tonight. Because there's there's something about those of us who are pastors going to shock you it's going to be a big deal for you tonight We're not perfect. I know don't get dismayed. Pastor Chet's not perfect I know he's shocked even <laughs> Pastor jeff's not perfect, and there are times that even though our our desire our heart's desire is to be Faithful to communicate, to do, and to be absolutely everything we can. To be true to God's word and to show you a way, just like Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. There are going to be times when all people, pastors included, are going to be unfaithful to the Lord. But that does not change the faithfulness of God himself. He remains faithful even though we are faithless. He remains true even though we may have misspoken. He is absolutely perfect even though the messengers are imperfect. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is very important for you because sometimes when you're looking for perfect people, here's what happens. Ah! Pastor Jeff's not perfect. Pastor Chet's not perfect. He actually said something I disagree with. Church, the Levites were not perfect. God is perfect. We need to leave God as perfect and allow for man to be imperfect. Because if you allow men to be imperfect, you'll never be disappointed because men are imperfect. But if you put a man on a pedestal, if you look to a person to be your perfection, you are going to be disappointed. If you think that holiness comes from a person and not from God, then you begin to associate the imperfection of the person as if it were a characteristic of God. the Levites were dispersed for the express purpose of showing the imperfection of man and the perfection of God. Because these were people that lived with every single group of people in all of the promised land. So they could look at their priest in their particular village and their city, and they could see, you know, he kind of just yelled at his kids. He's not supposed to beat his donkey, but he's out there whacking his donkey like everybody else does. And that's not an excuse. That is just to remind us that man always has a way to go. We're on a journey of sanctification. We are not at the end of the journey yet. We're in the process of becoming more and more like Jesus, all of us, myself included, so that when they were to see these Levites, they could identify with the fact that I need God because I certainly cannot model everything that the local priest did because he wasn't perfect. That keeps our eyes focused on heaven, church. So important that your faith is in God alone, through Christ alone, by faith alone. It is so important for us to know that and live there. Because when I start putting my hope and trust in a man, irregardless or irrespective of how wonderful an example most of the time that man is, then I may start to believe that that man is God. And when that man has a problem... I then lose faith. Keep your faith in the Lord alone. Amen. And so they give all of these cities into the hands of the Levites. And so they gave from the tribe of the children of Judah, from the tribe of the children of Simeon, these cities which are designated by name, for there were the children of Aaron and one of the families of the Kohathites, and the children of Levi, for by lot theirs was first. And they gave them Kirjath Arba, for Arba was the father of Anak. Remember, Anak is the, is the father of the Anakim, which also were likely the giants that fought David, uh, including Goliath. There in the high priest they gave him Hebron. Uh, the city of the refuge for the slayer, and Libna with its common land, and Jatir and its common land, and Ephshamoah and its common land, and you can kind of see the theme here, and Beth Shemesh. Uh, that's a city that's directly due west of, of Bethlehem, down in the valley of Elah where David fought Goliath from the tribe of Benjamin, Gibeon, so they've now moved inland in Giba with its common land. And so you can kind of see how across the, the nation, the nation that we would now call this nation of Israel, this very small uh, country that's wedged in between the Mediterranean Sea and Jordan, Lebanon, Syria, Saudi Arabia, and, and uh, Egypt, um, they gave Shechem and its common land, the mountains of Ephraim, and you notice that there are six cities of refuge mentioned in this passage, and if you care to read every word, you're certainly welcome to. Uh, Gezer, that's where—that's actually a 55-plus place. It's in the middle of the, the land. Just seeing if you're awake. <laughs> Kibazim, in its common land, Beth-Horan. And it's common land, four cities from the tribe of Dan. And so you're going kind to of see each tribe coughs up for at least four cities. Tanakh with this common land and Gath, which is on the coast, Gathramon, and it's common land in two cities. And all of the ten cities with their common lands for the rest of the families of the ch- children of Koha. And also for the children of Gershon and the families of the Levites. From their half tribe. Now remember, the Levites were originally the firstborn. So you have in every single family a firstborn. The firstborn would be assigned a job of a Levite. So there would be literally Levites within every tribe. But eventually, they're all gathered together in one family called the Levitical family or the family of the Levites. And so here, they're all distributed in essence equally throughout the the country, the tribe of Asher, Mishal, and its common land, and Abdon, its common land, and Helkath, uh, Rehob, Naphtali, the tribe there in the center and towards the north, Kadesh, which is on the border which would be in modern day Jordan, and Galilee, with in Kadesh which was in Galilee at that time, so this is the eastern shore uh, of the Sea of Galilee, and the Gershonites according to their families and all their common lands, And finally, the tribes of Zebulun. And so it goes all the way up in the north, what we would call today uh, the the area of the city, the ancient city of Dan is right next to the border of Lebanon. Matter of fact, when you're standing in the northern part of the actual excavation of the city of Dan, you can stand in Israel and you can stand in Lebanon basically simultaneously. There's actually a trench there. Uh, from the 73 war, and over there is Lebanon, and over here is Israel. But they were distributed throughout the land. And so all of the cities of the children of Merari, according to their families, and the rest of the families of the Levites by lot their 12 cities. And each were the cities within the possession of the children of Israel were 48 cities with their common land, Every one of these cities had its common land surrounding it, and thus these were all the cities. Notice that it's very, very important for us to see that the Levites were sprinkled into the entirety of all of Israel. There was no central place at that time. It wasn't that it's like there's one temple and that's the one place. The word of God was sprinkled throughout the entirety of the nations. This is a picture of the Great Commission. This is what God intends. God does not intend, and I want to I speak to this issue, because it has captivated specifically America, and it is wrong. We have not been called, as God's people, to be sequestered in a city-state where we are the only ones who have the Word of God. We're supposed to be out and about with the rest of the world. The the church was never, ever designed to be what some purport today, which is we just kind of withdraw, we kind of all get together, and all the Christians go over here, and that way we can fight off the world. There is no place in Scripture that paints that picture. The Word of God is supposed to be dispersed to all the nations, And so in that sense, I I want to speak to you for a moment. We are to be separate. We are to be separate. Be ye separate, therefore, says the Lord. That's what saint means. It means a set-apart one. But it doesn't also follow that saints should be stagnant. And in fact, isolation... And insulation will lead to stagnation. When you take the church and you pull it fully out of the world and you give it its own little place, you will end up with what happened to the children of Israel. You had a group of people who thought that they were holier, and they began to then push out anyone who wasn't like them. This is death to the Great Commission. Because we cannot reach prostitutes and tax collectors. We cannot reach sinners who need saving, who are not yet saved, if we're trying to create a country where there's only Christians in it. We need to be reaching out. We need to outreach. We do not need to create a Christian social club. If you're not getting a little mud on you, there's something wrong with your walk with Jesus. If you're not hearing some things that you don't want to hear, there's something wrong with your walk with Jesus. If you're not part of being out in the world, then there's something wrong with your walk with Jesus. Because Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost. Our mission is to model him. You can't reach lost people if you tell lost people they're not welcome. Lost people is the goal of the church. We're to reach lost people. Amen? That's modeled all the way back in the Old Testament, in the book of Joshua. It's like we're going to put the word everywhere, we're going to put a Levite in every single city. We, we want the church to go out into the world. We do not want the church to withdraw itself and become a little social club where everybody is holy. Now, should the church be filled with holy people? Absolutely. We should be endeavoring to be as much like Christ as we possibly can. But we need to then take that out into the world where people are not like Christ. The church is never going to fulfill its purpose by simply building bigger barns and insulating itself from the world. We've been called to go out. Where did Jesus send the disciples? I send you as lambs to the slaughter, as sheep among wolves. That does not sound like a social club where everybody's saved. That sounds like our neighborhoods, that sounds like our businesses, that sounds like our state, that sounds like our government, it sounds like everywhere but the church actually. We have not been called into isolation and insulation. We've been called out into the world to be salt and light wherever we go. So by default... The pastors got sprinkled into every community, including the ones that weren't the best communities to be sprinkled into. We should be immersed in society, not live isolated from it. Instead of trying to make a Christian country and celebrating some kind of weird Christian nationalism, we should be celebrating the fact that there are still souls to be saved and finding out where they are. Amen? So the priests were appointed to that end. Take the word to the world. Take it out. You know, one of the problems that I think plagues the church today is what I call obese sheep. That means they've been eating in a green pasture for a very long time and they are fat with the word of God. They're so fat that they can't go out into the world. They can't make it through the sheepfold door. So don't be like that. You need to you need to find yourself a spiritual gym and get working out. Shed some spiritual pounds and go hunt down some lost sheep. Amen? You see, you got to go claim the land. You got to take the land. God's already given it to us. What is God's desire, church, for those who are not saved? It's that they be saved. God is unwilling that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He wants everyone to know him. That's the job of the church. The reason Jesus didn't take you straight home to heaven when you said yes to his offer of grace is because you've got a job to do. It may just be in your home. It may be with your family. It may be in your workplace or your school. It might be somewhere where you are uniquely the one Christian that's there, but the point is this, you've been put on a mission. And we need to get out of the nice confines, the comfy sheepfold, and we need to get out there where the wolves are. We need to go where there are people that don't know Jesus. You see, we have to take full possession. God's given us the land. What did God say to them? when they, If you go back to our first studies in this book, God said, this is the land that I am giving you. But what was their response? Uh, well, there's giants and oh, there's, there's the sons of Anak. And oh, man, this is going to be work. Well, it wasn't just going to be work. It was going to be War. But when God says something, he means it. So we have to receive it. We've got to say, God, I believe you. I trust you. That's my land. You gave it to me. It's actually yours, but you said it's mine. So I'm going to believe you on that and go take it. Notice verse 43. And so the Lord gave to Israel all of the land which he had sworn to give to their fathers. Fathers who? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was a whole bunch bigger chunk of land than the little tiny sliver of land that is modern day Israel. But this particular land description Is actually pretty much the modern day Israel. So they actually settled for less than God's best. They didn't possess all that God had for them. Church, let's not be that church. Let's not settle for less than God has given us. Pastor Chet's given you a challenge. Let's take LA for Christ. Amen. That's going to require Gardena and Carson and Watts, Compton and Long Beach, PV, Indio. Yes. Hawaiian Gardens. Right here in Gardena, and Bellflower, it's going to take all, you got to go take the land. You think the enemy's going to give it up? If you do, you're not too bright. He's not. Because right now he's got his hooks in it. And so they took possession of it and dwelt in it. That's what faith does. Faith that says, yes, Lord, your servant hears, I'm going to do it. I may not even understand it. You know, sometimes faith makes sense and sometimes faith doesn't make sense. Sometimes faith doesn't fit on your spreadsheet. Sometimes faith doesn't go on your outlook daily plan. Sometimes faith is in the moment. In this case, all the tribes had their land, but now they needed to go to every corner of the land. You see, they had places to dwell, but there were still mountains to conquer. There were still things to do. God had given them the necessary components, but the work was still there. Now notice what the Lord says in verse 44. And the Lord gave them rest all around. When you're in the center of God's will, even if God's will is a storm, there is peace in the midst of the storm. Classic case is Jesus, amen, on the Sea of Galilee. The disciples are freaking out. They're like, they're, they're screaming. It's like, Lord, you brought us out here to die. What's Jesus doing? He is asleep in the back of the boat. He's dozing. Why do you suppose that is? Because he already knew what was going to happen. He knew the storm wasn't going to kill him, even though they all thought they were going to die. You see, we don't always know what God knows, but we know who God is. And he's the God that never leaves us or forsakes us. He doesn't give us false promises. So what he says, we can stand on. Amen. And so he gave them rest all around according to all that he had sworn to their father's. And not a man of all of their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hands. Can somebody please say hallelujah? Hallelujah. That's the deal. But notice they had to receive it. They had to believe it. They had to accept it. They had to take it. It was theirs for the taking, but they had to say, yes, Lord, I want what you want. And that's so true for us as Christians. It's like the Lord wants to bless us. The Lord wants to take us into a new land. The Lord wants to do a new thing. The Lord wants to get us out of the comfy spots that we're in. He may even send us into a battle. He might put you into a storm. But he's saying, I got the storm. Will you go possess what I've asked you to take? It will be from here on out that they stopped commemorating Passover as if they were equipped to travel. Remember when they were first given Passover, they were supposed to eat it like they were going to blow in about five minutes. It's like, we're out. We're going to bounce. We're gone. Now they're going to be at rest. They're actually going to build finally a temple. They will have this wonderful place that they can go and worship the Lord. But now they're going to eat it reclining, exactly as Jesus and the disciples did. Remember when they sat at that upper room table? They're reclining around a triclinium, they're, they're sitting there with their arms on pillows. You see, God wants to take us from war to comfort, but He does that when we're obedient. God takes you from war to comfort in obedience. It's when you believe him for what he says and when you engage in doing what he's asked. You're not going to find rest in disobedience. There is no rest in the disobedience to the things of the Lord. There's only more warfare. So if you're ready to get moving with the things of God, then what you're going to find after the battle is rest. He's going to take you and put you right where you need to be. Why? Because not a single word of God ever fails. Amen? Amen. Not, notice verse 45, you don't have this one underlined in your Bible, please underline it. Don't worship the paper that it's written on, worship the word. Okay? It's okay to put an asterisk there. It's okay to grab a highlighter. It's okay to underline it. It's okay. Why? Because if it draws your attention to something that's meaningful, God doesn't want you to worship the paper. He wants you to worship the word. He wants you to worship him. Not a word of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. Not one of it failed. It all came to pass. Amen? Amen. promise for you tonight. Yes, it was spoken to Israel, but it has application in your life. Not one word that God speaks to you will ever fail. Ever. Ever. If he has spoken it, he's obligated to make it so. His character's on the line. Do you think he's going to let his character fail because he's not? Well, I just don't, you know, I don't feel like making that true for Jeff. It's true for other people, but not for him. Not one word of the Lord will fail, ever. All that he has promised, he will do. He cannot say this to Israel, and it also not be true for you, because his character is on the line. What he promises, it is incumbent upon him to complete it. That's why he who began the good work in you is faithful to complete it unto the day of Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. He who started you on the journey is going to also get you home. So important for us in these seemingly kind of random passages of Scripture to where there's cities that we can't even pronounce. Not a single word Of the Lord that he has spoken will ever fail. Amen. Now, here's a little tricky part for you. Did it look like it failed at times? Oh, yes, it did. Why? Because of people. Because of people. Any failure to possess the land that was given was not because of God. He had made adequate provision. He had fought the fight for them, but it was because Israel failed to follow the Lord. And so there's a word for us in this. We cannot blame God when we fail to follow what His word says. We can blame ourselves when that happens, but we can't blame God. Very often I see Christians go, well, you know, that stuff that God said he'd do, he didn't do for me. No, it was because you didn't follow it. It's not a failure on God's part. You either quit before he was done. Or you weren't following what he actually said. Because he can't lie. God cannot lie. He's actually truth incarnate. Jesus said, I am the way and the and the life. Amen? So if he's truth, he can't also be lie. So if he says something, and it doesn't quite work out the way you think, it's, it's, it's you. Just go grab the mirror, wipe the haze off, go, ah, it's me. God has been faithful to you. He's been faithful to me, as we sang. He's an ever-faithful God. Isn't it weird to think he doesn't... We know how to be unfaithful. God doesn't know how to be unfaithful. It's impossible for him. It's impossible. He cannot do it. God has given you and I great and precious promises. The question is, will we possess them? Not are they available, and not did he not make them. Will you possess them? Because God will be faithful in you. God will do what he said he would do. And in light of that, in light of the cross, is it not true that the enemy has no right to dwell in the land he's given us? Amen? The enemy has no right in your home. The the enemy has no right in your life. The enemy has no right to your community. The enemy has no right. God has given you the victory. The question is, are you willing to possess it? Because you can give in, and then the enemy will dwell right there. Is it not true that Satan's claim on your very life was defeated at the cross of Christ? Death was defeated on the cross. He whom hath, he has hath made alive is alive indeed forevermore. You know what that means? You are immortal. Spiritually. Your life is now hidden in Christ. It cannot be taken from you. It already belongs to Jesus. And no one can snatch them out of my Father's hands. Amen? Amen? These are promises, church. The reason I'm sharing these things, these are who, this is who you are. Is it also not true that sin has no right to a foothold in the life of any believer? Sin's been defeated. Jesus took care of the problem of sin and its consequence, which is death. He defeated both on the cross. You've got to seize that victory. You've got to be obedient. You have to do what God tells you to do. Is it not true that Satan has no power, none, over an omnipotent God? God is all-powerful. Satan is not all-powerful. He's a defeated foe. But you got to believe it. you got to receive it. you got to walk in it. And I'm not preaching a prosperity thing here. I'm telling you the truth is, God kicks Satan's other side. <laughs> Amen? It's like, <laughs> through the goalposts. Is it not true that by virtue of his blood and his resurrection, that Christ has pledged to destroy the enemy of your souls forever? Forever. Eternally. One day Jesus is going to grab Satan by his neck, wrap him in chains and toss him in the pit. OK? That's the truth. And in the meantime, is it not true that the power of the Holy Spirit has been given to every believer for all of those things so that you can believe them, receive them, and act on them? So when we're not walking in victory, it's not because the promise is bad. It's not because the power is bad. It's not because the provision is bad. It's because we haven't been doing what God's asked us to do. So it's time for us to put on our spiritual glasses and see things for the way God sees them. He's given you a promise. There are three very important truths at the end of this passage. The prophet Isaiah, when he said, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, or my ways are not your ways, says the Lord, he wasn't kidding. In verse 11 of Isaiah 55, there's another little subsequent truth that's right there after the prophet Isaiah speaks those words. For as the heavens are higher than yours, so are my ways higher than your ways. Verse 11 says, So my word will be as it goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return void, but accomplish every purpose for which I have sent it, and it shall prosper For the thing for which it was sent. Church. Church. You realize what God's saying through the prophet Isaiah? If I said it, you can take it to the bank. You can cash that check. You can put your ATM card, it's not going to come back not sufficient funds. It will not return with a zero balance. There will always be more than enough in God's account to make good on his promises for you. The question is, will you inquire of the Lord? Will you seek his holy face? Notice as the Levites received this inheritance and they set up these cities of refuge for people who had you know, perhaps wounded or killed someone As they began to unfold this, Numbers 26 tells us, Moses writing there, that there were 23,000 Levites before Israel entered the land. Now I want you to follow my math here. There's 48 cities. That means there's nearly 500 Levites in every city. How can it be with that representation of the Lord That they weren't following God. That means there was a problem in the church. That means that it hadn't begun in the house of the Lord. That God's house wasn't a house of prayer. It was a house of other things. Because there were more than enough of the Levites to make sure that the bread of life went forth to the people. And so let that be a lesson to us. With that many Levites, there should have been spiritual fruit galore. Could it be that they weren't listening? Could it be that the pastor stopped preaching the word? Could it be that it all became a show? Let's not let that happen here. And so three wonderful truths... God was faithful and did exactly what he said he would do. He gave Israel the land. God's faithful. Second, God gave them the victory. So when we say, well, I can't do it because I'm just not strong enough, then you're missing the point. God already knows you're not strong enough. That's why he hasn't left you to your own strength. He's given you the Holy Spirit to enable and to empower you. Amen? Your victories don't come from you, they come from him. His strength. And thirdly, God always keeps the promises of his word. You take those three things. They're simple. God is faithful, God grants the victory, and God keeps his promises. Those are life things for you. Every moment of every day. God is always faithful. God always has the victory. Can I tell you, God never loses. God never loses, ever. may look like it from your position, but it's not because God lost. He may be going a little circuitous route that you don't understand why he's going that direction, but at the end of the day you're going, oh, I see how it works out now. And God keeps his promises. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things are passing away. I will never leave you nor forsake you, says the Lord. Amen? So this may seem to be a strange passage about dividing up the land and giving it to a bunch of pastors. But it's really about God's faithfulness, isn't it? Let's take that faithfulness out into our world and be faithful with what God's given us. Amen? Amen. God gave him a covenant. God gave him power. And God gave him promises. And we have those same covenants, promises, and powers today because he is faithful all the time. Amen? Let's stand and we'll close in prayer. If you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord Jesus, you haven't taken that first step of faith. You haven't believed on the only begotten Son of God. There is no other name under heaven whereby men may be or must be saved. Both are true. No other name can save you, and without him you can't be saved. But the good news is if you want to be saved, those that believe on him shall be And so it starts there. The promises of God come to the people of God. It's always been that way. It's no different tonight. We're going to have some pastors up front. If you have not met Jesus, then I want to encourage you to come forward. Give your life to Christ tonight. Just say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me. Wash me. Make me white as wool. I know I'm a mess, but you can clean up any mess. But if you know him, if you know him, you are on mission. And that mission is the same mission that Jesus was on. It's to seek and save that which is lost. It's to go after the one. It's to forsake the ninety and nine. It's to look for the one lost coin. It's to look for the one lost sheep. That's your job. Jesus puts you on that mission by shedding his own blood on Calvary's cross. The least we can do is say, Thank you, Lord. Let me get busy about my father's business. So let's make that our goal this week. Politics is going to come and go. You could spend all day, every day. But there are lost people that are perishing eternally that need the word of the Lord spoken to them. Far more important. Father, we thank you that you put us on mission by sending your son Jesus into this world, that the world through him would be saved. And Lord, the whole world isn't saved, but you want it to be. And Lord, you called us to that plan and that purpose. And so tonight, would we stand on your promises? Would we rest in your power? Would we look to your provision? Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We pray that you'd use us. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here tonight that would not leave this building without coming right here and saying, I want to know Jesus. And Lord, for those of us who know you, which is a vast majority, God, send us out into this world to be fruitful servants. Lord, let us not hide our talents. Let us not bury them, Lord, but let us use them for your glory. Lord, thank you for your precious promises. We know they won't return void. Fill us with your spirit. Anoint us to the task at hand. In Jesus' name.